Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and sitting in today is my co-host, Kim Garner. We'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. So let's begin. Today, you'll meet a pair of dynamic women. Holly McPeak dominated the beach volleyball scene both domestically and internationally. She's a three-time Olympian for the U.S. team and holds 72 career beach titles, including 19 international titles, two Grand Slam event titles, and 53 domestic titles. Anne-Marie Anderson is a multiple Emmy Award-winning veteran sports broadcaster who has worked both behind and in front of the camera. Over the course of her career, she's covered the Super Bowl, the NBA playoffs, golf majors, the MLB playoffs, heavyweight title fights, and six Olympic Games. Now these two former athletes, businesswomen and mothers, have teamed up on their new podcast, Sports Like a Boss, where they discuss how to use sports to create the life you want. So, let's rewind to the beginning and say it forward with Holly McPeak and Anne Marie Anderson. Where are you from? Uh, I moved all around the country. So, I, I guess if I had to pick one, I lived in Colorado the longest. Were, but... were you born in Colorado? No. Where Illinois, you... Georgia, Alabama, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Connecticut, New York, wow, California. Wow. Yeah. Did you end up in Colorado as a young girl? Uh, that was through high school. Where in Colorado? Uh, outside of Denver. Outside of Denver, but I always wanted to be a California girl. I did. I was a volleyball player and those California girls, I, I just always wanted to be a California girl. And so I kind of created my own path to get out to California. And well, I you're so wanted. beautiful and yeah. you look so healthy. Thank Colorado you. is, I love Colorado. Yeah. If I didn't live in California, although it's hard not to be happy in Colorado, in California, Colorado would be my next place. Yeah, it's fine. My family and I have been skiing in Vail for 40 years and I just love, love, love Colorado. Yeah, and we lived in the mountains. My husband and I lived in the mountains our second go around in Colorado and that was nice because we would just ski. It was pre-kids Yeah, when you had time for things like just Hey, you want to go skiing today? Yeah, let's go nice. out on the mountains. Yeah. And so go you skiing. started in sports as an athlete as well, but then moved into broadcasting. Right. Yeah. I was a, a collegiate athlete, but went straight to ESPN for broadcasting right out of college 30 years ago <laughs> this year. <laughs> and what about you, Henry? So I grew up in Manhattan Beach. Um, so you're a full California girl. Uh, California. Yeah, my whole experience has been California. I've never lived outside of California. Uh, I grew up with a twin brother and a younger sister, a very competitive family. Um, and we competed at every sport. And growing up on the beach, summer all day long, we were boogie boarding, playing volleyball, and you name it. And it just kind of became a passion. And it's to this day, this I work on the beach. It's my office. It's it's wonderful. I love the beach. I have a house in Malibu, and I just beeline it down there. I love the beach. Something about the ocean. Everything and the, about everything. it. Everything. And the sun finally popped out yesterday. It was beautiful. Yeah, Although the June the sun bloom is here. just standing right now because it's the yeah. end of June. So now yeah. we have. But then everybody comes to our beach. Um, yeah. I kind of hate that. Those 12 yeah. weeks when everybody shows up there, I kind of hate that. So you're a three-time Olympian. I am. Um, growing up, when did you kind of put your effort into beach volleyball and know that that was going to be your path? You know, I, I don't think I knew sports exactly was going to be my path. Mm -hmm. um, I 
loved sports. I loved competing. I was game for anything. Having a twin brother, the boys would be over. We'd play pickle. We'd play whatever. And I could hold my own. So I, I loved sports from an early age, but not till high school did I realize that it could be a vehicle. It became a vehicle to earning a scholarship to college. And uh, that's kind of when I started to realize that I could really do things in my sport. After college, I didn't know what was available to me. Mm. It really hadn't emerged as a professional sport, an Olympic sport, till after. What year was that when beach volleyball? 92 was an exhibition sport. 96 was the first Olympics that handed out medals mm-hmm. for beach volleyball. You didn't go to the Olympics in 92 for the no, exhibition, did, did you? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I, I didn't. Say, yeah. No, but I, I was kind there. of emerging on the pro scene. Yeah. Um, I, was a, I was rookie of the year in 1991. They announced in 92 that you know, 96 mm-hmm. would be handing out medals. So. so you became a professional player what year? I finished at UCLA in 90, won mm-hmm. a national championship. I played indoor volleyball as well and then transitioned to play professionally in 91. So that's when I became a professional. So when you're a professional volleyball player yes, and you go to be in the Olympics to be part of the Olympic team, you don't get paid for that. Good question. So all of the athletes in the Olympic Games, I would say, wouldn't you say, we're, we're all professionals. They they yeah, gave up that rule you a while ago. I oh, mean, they yeah. did? Yeah, yeah. you can't, yeah. you can't <laughs> make a living. There's just no way to do it. Otherwise, we had to, in order to actually qualify for the Olympic Games, we had to compete on the FIVB World Tour, which went all over the world playing all the best teams in the world. And you compete for prize money. So when did that happen? Because in my mind somewhere, there was a time where you couldn't be a where professional. There was like the amateur professional thing. I feel like it was that in the, the 80s. Late at some 80s. Point. Well, I think Holly, so as a, a point of interest, Holly was the first woman to eclipse a million dollars in prize money. And you have to understand, I mean, you guys are looking That's at Holly. That's real money. No, it's real money. That's and, real and money. And you have to understand, Holly, I'm not too close to her, is short, right? Like, she, she's short for well, a volleyball, let's just volleyball say she, player. I would rephrase that and say she's just not tall. No, <laughs> she's short. And she likes to rub that. <laughs> right, exactly. But you have to understand, like, these are huge, huge, tall athletes. So she eclipsed a million dollars in prize money, and she's very compact for a volleyball player. So she was just a beast. I mean, she was really a force when she became a pro because nobody could beat her. She just wasn't going to lie. I just, yeah, I was just mentally tougher, Chippy. hungrier. I yeah. I was willing to do whatever it took to win. I was just reading a whole article about sports performance and all of that. And that difference, well, we had Navy SEAL yeah. on and just talking about the mental, like there's a lot of people with ability, but that Absolutely. mental, yeah. that mental ability to just go for it and not take no for an answer. Yeah, it's interesting because we always saw those physical athletes that had the whole package, but no killer instinct. Right. So they didn't care. I had 10% of what they had, but I was going to do whatever it took to win. So I'm like, okay, game on. Let's, let's do it. I don't, you know, but the mental thing is important and the killer instinct. Do you want to win? I train a lot of young athletes. Some are affluent, some aren't. And when push comes to shove, do you have what it takes to win? With your back against the wall, have you ever felt what it feels like to be hungry. I mean, I have. I have and I know. And I think it's, I'm glad I did. My parents, I didn't get handed any money ever. If I wanted to go to the movies, I was washing windows, doing laundry, you name it. And as much as I hated it then, I respect it now. How much do you think you're born with that? And how much can you actually develop it? Or is it a combination of both? We struggle with that all the time as parents too. Because we live in Manhattan Beach and the somewhat affluent community, and we're looking at our kids and saying, we don't want to hand it to them. I think 
What do you think in terms of mental toughness? I mean, I think it's our job as parents to uh, let our children have some obstacles Absolutely. and overcome and find their hunger. And it's getting harder and harder to find like-minded parents. I mean, that's one of the gifts of our friendship. We live pretty much on the same street. We've got uh, kids the same age and we I see share... her kids at the beach every day because yeah. I have a court. That's my office where I train people. And yeah. literally, I see her kids every day. But yeah, I think teaching our kids, exposing them, making them figure out solutions when I there's used problems. I have a chore sheet when I was raising my four boys. I felt exactly the same way that you did. One of my sons, after my – I was thrown out of my house when I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So I never had any – I lived in a wealthy life, but I didn't have any money when my father said, you're out of here. So I figured out how to make a living. Right. And I have the killer instinct that you have. Yeah. Yeah. When I was raising my children – I didn't want to give them money. I thought that's like, what's the point of that? Mm -hmm. So I made a chore sheet and they had their names across the top of the chore sheet. And then they had the chores down the side of the chore sheet. This one was worth 25 cents. This is a dollar. This is $2. This one, if you do this, you get $5 for that. Mm -hmm. And they, that's how they earned their allowance. And if they wanted to have money, they had to sign up for a chore and do that chore. And they all, and I had a full-time housekeeper. My youngest son says to me one day, he goes, mom, why isn't she making my bed too? Mm-hmm. So because how are you going to learn how to make that bed if you don't make it? True. And I, so we were, str- I mean, I worked full time, so I w- was not going to make my own bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd already done that. I learned from that. But that's how I did it. And they all grew up. They all work. They all make a living. They all support themselves. So, yeah. you know, by, but you're, what you guys are saying, I think will go a long way to teaching them how to be appropriate adults and to make a living. Well, it's interesting. You say at 18, you were out of the house. I was out of the house at 18. I didn't want to go back. I wanted to figure out a way to be independent. I didn't want to answer to anybody. I did not want to live under anybody else's roof or rules or anything. And I had to figure out a way. And she was out at 17. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just went to college then. And I remember my mom was like, you're good. Peace. You know, right. But I never wanted to go back. Loving to pieces, go back and visit my mom all the time. But right. yeah. But off you went. Yeah. Do you think it was a different way? I mean, we were kind of brought up to like get oh, out there, sure. buck up, get up, go out, do your thing in a lot of cases. Do you think that there's uh, less of that now when kids are a little bit more? Yes, for sure. <laughs> but it makes us all sound like, oh, back in the days. But yeah. I can tell you, parenting there, you know, my 14 year old son was apparently the last 14 year old on earth to have a phone. <laughs> because, but I was like, yeah, you should get one. They're great. Like I just kept saying that to him and he, he realized he needed to earn the money and buy the phone. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to buy a phone. I was like, cool. You know, there's a monthly fee for service, right? <laughs> so then he had to save up the, th- for the for the monthly fee for service. So now he's got his phone and he pays for it. And you know, I wasn't going to buy him a phone. No, it's no such way. a tricky conversation. And, yeah. and the other thing around that is my, my kids are older than your kids. So there were no phones mm-hmm. until they were, you know, grown up. But this whole thing that's going on now with this instant stuff that people are, you know, texting to each other constantly, I'm, I'm fearful. Oh, yeah. Of bullying. I'm fearful of these. Uh, and girls, please, are so freaking bitchy mm-hmm. that it's unbelievable. It's mean. They're I mean, so they mean. mean on social media. So it's, mean. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It is heartbreaking. Yeah, it's, it's And how do you do that? that? I mean, you guys have kids that you're having to keep an eye on. And how do, do you have your son show you his phone? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I what we do, it's, it's $20 monthly. So I pay 10 of it for access to his phone. So I say, I'm, I'm going to pay 10, which means I get all passwords get access at any point. And I see everything. It's a little different with boys and girls, but also my son actually is a volleyball player. And so he wants to play in college. That's a goal for him. 
And so I say to him, hey, you know what college coaches do? First thing, they look up your social media. And so he's tried to stay away from social media. And his friends are all saying, well, you should be on Instagram. And I said, you know what you can do on Instagram? You can see what other people press like on and where they comment. So I said, let's take a look at your friend Jack, shall we? And because Jack follows me on social media. And so we came up and I showed him, oh, it's interesting. Jack liked that post. Jack said this. It didn't even relate to me. And the blood drained out of his face, knowing that he could at 14 waylay his own goals. And I said, so I wanted to show you that. And he said, yeah, I got to call Jack. (laughs) Let Jack know. I see everything. It's tricky. I mean, I'm about to have my first grandchild. Congratulations. And, and maybe today, will you guys are oh, wow. well, that, that's get the call. That's if awesome. I get the call, by the way, I'll be leaving. Yeah, you will. Okay. Bring we'll but, um, I think about this now, and I've talked to my son about this. I mean, how do you raise kids? They're younger than your kids, right? They might, he hasn't been born yet. So, right. if, you know, when does this start? I didn't have to deal with this, and I do not envy these friends of mine that have girls. Yeah. But the girls are so much meaner than boys. They are. Which goes back to you. I mean, when you were competing, yeah. what was it like for you with other women? Did you have camaraderie? Oh. <laughs> well, it's interesting because competitive women are rough. It's a rough group. I had to go in and just not care what anybody thought because I knew my goals, and I just kind of was focused People are saying all sorts of horrible things about me. I was sleeping my way. I, I mean, just stuff that didn't even make sense. But I worked hard, stay focused on my goals and really just shut it out. But it's not easy. I think women naturally growing up, we have lots of insecurities. I mean, how we look. I mean, there's just a lot of pressure, especially in the social media days. So I think there's a lot of pressure on us. And so talk a little bit more about that. Does the competitiveness yeah. of having such a goal, yeah. does that really help you navigate through all of the growing up teenage years of a girl? Like, I, I mean, think sports is a great way to keep kids on a straighter path. Definitely. I, I was so busy. I was so disciplined. I was yeah. so tired. I couldn't even get into trouble. I was exhausted because I was playing two sports in high school, two club sports. But I was really confident and I knew what I wanted to do in life. I didn't want to drink with all the other high school kids. They were smoking and doing all sorts. I didn't want to do it. I just had goals. Not that I didn't want to hang out with my friends and have fun. I did that. But I didn't want to give in to any of that peer pressure at that point. I was focused. And that's. I felt like I had that at 12, 13 years old. I knew what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to get sucked into those distractions. Is your brother an athlete as well? Your My twin? brother's super, he, he's athletic. He's super competitive. He didn't go on to play sports, you know, after high school. But I would say my whole family is competitive and athletic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think you have to have that singular focus or a goal in order to kind of stay out of trouble to a degree in high school. And Holly's heard me say, like, my, my father, who's now passed, but did not want me to go away to college. He wanted me to live at home and go, I mean, just super protective. And I was like, oh, no, baby, that's that's not going to happen. So the only way I was getting out was to get a scholarship to college. That's the only way I was going to make it work. And I was not as talented an athlete. Obviously, nobody is as Holly, but I wasn't close. And so I just worked and worked and worked in order to get that goal because my goal was to get out. I wanted to get out and go to New York and and live on my own. And that was the way to do it. If you have that goal. I just feel too, though, it is something you're born with. I mean, I had that competitive go after like self-motivated. I mean, I know you were Rebecca. Um, Your story is incredible. The same thing, just it's in you. And then you're nurturing that keeping focused. I think that could be true for competitive. I don't know. All three of my children are so hyper competitive that, you know, every mealtime is 
So it's ridiculous. And my daughter, who's only seven, already calls home a coach. She was telling her brother. She was telling her brothers yesterday. Yeah, I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna be better than you, right? She's telling the fourteen year old. You know, I'm gonna be taller than you. I'm like, you are pretty tall. Um, so I don't know. I ha- I haven't birthed a child that's not insanely competitive with everything. It's a great quality. I happen to admire competitiveness. Um, there is a line, though. I've seen it often enough. That when you're over that line and it's no longer camaraderie, competitiveness, it mm-hmm. becomes nasty. Sure. Oh, yeah. And you absolutely. guys, you must have yeah. seen that of course. a lot. Of course. Yeah. But that I think that when you cross that line and you're doing things for the wrong reason, that stems from insecurity. That yeah. things from, Like, I'm not only validated by volleyball. I'm validated by so much more in life. Because if my whole life was volleyball, it would just be imbalance. You know, you just need something else. I know when I was so focused, I was training six hours a day for my sport because I wanted to be the best. But balance in my life was super important. I was dating somebody who had children. So I I was a stepmom and balance is really important. When you get to that unhealthy stage where you're doing things out of insecurity because that's all you have going for you. It just, it goes past the point. Do you, you don't play competitively anymore, do you? I did yesterday. You did? <laughs> I, I do, I do one day a week, but I don't play professionally anymore. I just play for fun and it's my favorite day of the week. So how long does a career in volleyball last generally? That's a hard sport. You're it's a hard sport. There's not a general yeah. either to it. There's, yeah, there's no real general. I mean, I played for 20 years professionally, um, but you it's different now. must be crazy now. fit. I mean, seriously. Oh, I mean, look I how was. cute you oh, were. I was. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm fit. I'm strong. I, you know, I feel... I feel lucky that I can still play. I'm telling you, I love because I can get out there and, and just grind out there with my, we we have eight girls and we play and it's so competitive and so fun. We're all moms, former pros. And you all wear those so cute fun. little bathing suits that you well, wear not, and you, you play wear, yeah, Not so much anymore, <laughs> but um, yeah, a lot. Some girls wear the bikinis still. <laughs> they're, they're, I yeah. thought I've never had a body like that. I see some of these girls. I'm like, oh my God. When you're I'm, training that many hours a day, there's you no have body, a body fat. Like that. You, there's no body fat. So yeah. as parents with teaching kids in sports or putting them into sports, and I think yeah. you guys talk a lot about this on your podcast, what's that balance between enjoyment and then working hard and being really competitive? And like, how do you find that balance for th- to help them find it? And also as parents? Well, yeah, Holly's looking at me because I'm <laughs> you I'm, first. I've got way too many sports going on. I mean, it has to be their choice. The one thing I've always got in my head as, you know, a broadcaster for decades and calling college and pro sports is you have to know the end goal. And the end goal cannot be to be a professional athlete. It cannot be to get a college scholarship because maybe that's not your talent level. So what do you want out of the sport? And of course, we're always thinking you want to be able to work as a team. You want to be able to be resilient. You want to um, be able to lead and follow and be coachable so that when you go into your life as a banker, you're able to use those skills. So that's the thing that's always, always in my head. And I find myself every week talking parents off the ledge at my kids' competitions because they are all talking about when my kid gets a college scholarship. And I just hit him with the stats. No, baby, your kid's not getting a college scholarship. Mine probably isn't. That kid over there, he's pretty good. He could he could get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. But, you know, really trying to talk to them about so it. So you intimately understand when you're out on the field with your kids and you're watching them oh. do tennis, soccer, whatever yeah. they're playing, you can tell whether sure. there's, a, there's an outstanding. Yeah. My son's a good volleyball player. He's gotten quite good. He's probably not going to get a scholarship to college. I'm not putting it against him. It's just the numbers. There's four and a half 
scholarships in men's volleyball. And those are all chopped up. USC is one of the top teams in the country. They don't have a single player on full scholarship. Nobody does. And your kid actually legitimately plays, right? It doesn't yeah, he's good. Yeah, we exactly. didn't make up yeah. pictures. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And he, yeah, kidding. exactly. He's not getting to USC on a rowing scholarship for a sport he doesn't do. I'm not that good at Photoshop. Uh, so it's so yeah. No, I I intimately understand it, and I also understand though. I've got two boys and a young girl. That my girl's experience may be different. Because there's more scholarships available for right. girls, but the goal is still the same. Even if she grows up to be a beast like Holly, and that's a compliment, by the way, mm-hmm. and uh, ends up having uh, sports be her career for a while after college, I still need her to know how to negotiate a contract, to work within a team, to be able to take direction, to be able to lead. Those are the things I want her to get right. from sports. My son, my oldest son, uh, was a fabulous tennis player, and he was the captain of his team all the way through his first year in college. And then somebody was very, very kindly said to him, much as you just said, you're not going to be a professional tennis player because you're not tall enough. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't. He's five foot ten, And he, you know, these guys that play professional tennis are almost all of them are six, seven inches taller than he was. And as good a player as he was, somebody was kind enough to say to him, if this is what you think you're going to have as a career, it's not going to happen. See, but I don't like that. I was going to say. I don't like I don't like somebody putting a limitation on your son because he's too short. He was kind of looking for that, I think. I mean, okay, I, but I don't it, think then, that, but, I, I agree. By the way, yeah, at the time, yeah. I said, how dare you say something Absolutely. like that to him? So people told me I was really never tall enough to win. For the never. Sport. You will never Especially win. Especially in your sport. Yeah, right. no, you're never going to win. I'm like, watch me to say, uh, like, I can't stand. I mean, I talk to parents all the time. I own a beach volleyball club at Manhattan Beach. So I coach young kids who are trying to get scholarships and the limitations that I hear people being put on people. I don't like that. Why? Why can't that person make it? Be the first person who's 5'5 to get a scholarship. Who cares? I just don't like putting limitations like that. If he wanted that out, fine. But yeah, I think at the time, if I if I thought about it the way you just said it, I probably would have been more fierce about it. Yeah. But he was okay with the outcome. I think yeah. he realized that he was starting to not be the best kid. Yeah. On the on the tennis yeah. courts anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, that's not what he wanted to do for a living. Yeah. Right. And it, so I think that gave him the yeah, yeah you know I'm going to finish out the year and you know that'll be that. But you're right. You're I mean, she's right. legitimately seven to eight inches shorter. A lot. Yeah, I'm like, playing, like, I was playing I, I girls that are 6'3". And that's a sport that is a, high, a sport yeah. with tall women. All the it. time. So that's why I always say like, oh, she's short. And she says, oh, she get it. Because in a way, and she knows how yeah. I mean it, it's a compliment because it's just crazy what she was able to accomplish. But she overcame. Mm-hmm. I, it was yeah. amazing. And, and the most frustrating player in the world to play. There's your big block and you're casting a shadow, you know, these big professional players. And she's just going to break your heart here and here <laughs> and here <laughs> and tip it over there. <laughs> and then you think, OK, you're going to crush the ball. And I covered Holly before we were friends. I covered Holly in the Olympics. And you think, you know, you're going to be able to do something. You can't run it. You can't get the ball down because she just never let the ball touch the sand. She, she's so quick. How long okay. have you done professional sports casting? Uh, 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. So I went to ESPN straight out of Hofstra. Right out of, yeah. Yep. And I took a uh, a six-month job and stayed 23 years wow. at ESPN. I, I'm competitive. Did you apply that for way. that job or did they search you out? Oh, no. I applied for that you job. Did. I got turned down for that job. I love being turned down for jobs. <laughs> love yeah, me it. too. <laughs> um, no, I got turned down for that job because when I went for my interview at 21 years old, uh, the person interviewing me said, can you analyze the Mariners' bullpen for me? And this is before Randy Johnson was in the bullpen, so nobody knew their bullpen. 
And I said, no. And if I needed to do a story in the Mariner's bullpen, I would look it up. And they passed on me for the job. And I wrote a thank you note back then. You would handwrite a thank you note back. And I wrote, thanks so much for the time. But I want to point out, you've got a million guys who could analyze the Mariner's bullpen. I've already worked in TV because I worked a little bit while I was at Hofstra in New York. So I could bring something different to the table. Can you reconsider? And he called me back and said, yeah, we'll give you a six-month job working six at night to three in the morning, Mondays off, six days a week. And after that, you know, we're not going to take you. And I said, okay. And then I got in there. And once I was in there, there was no way I was letting it go. Yeah, no was never the right answer. No, mm-hmm. I, and my kids, that's one of the things I, I yeah. teach them. And if, you, if they were in here, even my seven-year-old, what does your mother hear when she hears no? And she says, she hears not yet. <laughs> that's just not yet. <laughs> I don't hear it. Love it. Yeah. I've walked around my whole life saying no is never the right answer. No. And now yeah. I'm going to modify that and yeah. say not yet. Not yet. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, that that competitiveness and that drive. Mm-hmm. I've often wondered, I have it, I've often wondered where that comes from. And it's just something you, I've come to the conclusion after many years that I was born with it. I was competitive from the time I was old enough to know that they had something that I wanted yeah. or I wanted to accomplish that. And I was going to figure out how to accomplish that. And I didn't finish. I never went to college. I didn't finish high school. I never went to college. And no was never the right answer. You can't be a financial advisor. Why is that exactly? Because I didn't go to, you know, Harvard or whatever. That's not the right answer. I am as smart as you are. I just didn't go to college. But that doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing. And so I spent a lot of time fighting that back and saying, I'm so not interested in no. Yeah. Just not interested. That doesn't fit inside of my vocabulary. You may be right that you're born with it because we were talking about this. My earliest childhood memory, they always ask you kind of what your earliest childhood memory is. And it is of going to my brothers. I have four older brothers going to their altar boy meeting. And you would stand up and say your name and why you wanted to be an altar boy. And so Ed stood up and then Dan stood up and then Steve stood up and Gary stood up. So there's my turn. I'm the youngest. I stand up and I say, my name's Anne Marie, whatever. And they laughed and they said, girls can't be altar boys. And I was like, well, F that, like, A, I'm out of here and B, <laughs> don't tell me what I can't do. So you may be born with it because that I was six, I think. Yeah. And I was like, wow. yeah, no, that's not happening. Are you the only girl in your family? I am. What yeah. a lovely spot. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's it an inner knowing and then yeah. you nurture it, however. I yeah. mean, I yeah. remember my dad yeah. saying, I mean, I was 10. I clearly remember my dad saying, um, and I'm older than you guys, but saying you can do anything a boy can do. And of course you're going to university and of course you can do what you want. And it just became natural and normal for me just to believe in myself that way. But I did have that thing where it's like, oh, I know I can do it. Yeah, I think the challenge now uh, is growing up in in an affluent house where things come pretty easy. How do you create that hunger? In, mm-hmm. in the kids, I get the drive, I get the competitiveness, but hunger to go achieve things. And I think that's a huge question in my mind. I want to figure that out. I have an eight-year-old son. He's not interested in sports. He loves reading books, but I want him to be motivated to go out and do things. And I'm not going to, if I'm going on a trip, I don't want to fly coach if I don't have to. And that means he's with me. And so, I mean, as I don't think I ever even flew first class till I was an adult or business mm-hmm. or anything else. So these are things like, I mean, being back in coach, you're like, oh, what do I do to get up there? Yeah. Um, you have to work really hard to get you're up there. You're absolutely right. And it's I think tricky. schooling and tricky. sports, they it, it kind of turned around where it's like, everybody is a winner. 
And no one can gets a trophy. Lose. Everyone's got to get a house. Valentine yep. Day card. Yep. You know, it was like... You can't leave anybody out. You can't leave anyone out, which there was no real incentive to really strive and be better because it was a bad thing. So I don't find that. I know everybody says that now, but having kids that are in there, I, I don't... Like the whole everybody gets a trophy thing. I know it's it's the common theme, but believe me, my kids know the score. You know, yeah. they know yeah. whether yeah. they 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 win or lose, and and they forget about it pretty quickly, which I think is very healthy. I agree with you. I, yeah. I used to be. I, I was the only full time working mom. Mm-hmm. I had four kids in six years, oh. and I went to work at four o'clock in the morning, and I was still the only woman that volunteered to be the Boy Scout leader, the after school leader. You know, the soccer mom, the baseball mom. Where were the rest of these people? It was me and my husband, and we did it for all four of our kids. And when we used to have these parties and they would give out these trophies and everybody got a trophy, Mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself then and I think to now, what's the point of that? What is the point of that? Somebody has to win. That's the way it is. That's, That's the way it That's is life. in the world. Somebody yeah. has to you win. You get the job or you don't And we don't make get everybody job. feel so happy. You know, here's an idea. If you want to be playing baseball, be the best you can be. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, when they're little and they're playing t-ball, it's hard to be, you know, com- I mean, there's no real co- competition then. Yeah. But as they move up the food chain, they are competing. Right. And they are winning and there are, you know, you're teaching them how to do this. And it's, I, I think that instilling that desire to win is fine. I don't mind it at all. You know, no, get up yeah. and go win. And compete. Yeah, so compete. The best thing I've found for my kids, especially my boys who are uh, 11 and 14, is when they're being either being chased by somebody who's also a really good athlete or they're not starting. They're not the premier athlete. I like it better for them when they have to chase somebody. So the, it's not even just winning. It's about competing against people that are better than you. I never want to have the biggest house on the block. I never want my kid to be the best kid on the team. I feel like you need that competition so you can go get it. And so the curse would be to be the best. Is there a father, your husband, a sports? Is he a a competitive athlete also? No, he's an accountant and a really good volleyball player uh, too, which is funny, but he never wanted to be a lot of the, the men would come out and play on the AVP uh, and not make any money and play. And it's funny when we talk about when he was 20 something and everybody was saying, you should go, you should go play in the AVP. He said, no, I'm going to go make money. So he plays for fun and plays well, but he's not, uh, he's never been a professional athlete, played in college. And what about your husband? My husband played basketball in college. Very good. He had a, one more year of eligibility, but he graduated early and wanted to go straight to law school. He was just motivated and wanted to get out in the workforce. So he passed up professional basketball. He was very good and got out there and became a big time sports agent. Wow. Yeah. How has sports changed for women, do you see, from when you were? I mean, that's incredible. And what what a role model you are for other women athletes to pass the million. I mean, that's a lot of money, especially in sports. We had Cindy Whitehead on at Skateboarder. And just how difficult it is for these young skater girls that are so great and athletic and not getting the same money and accolades as the men. Well, there's way more opportunities now than there were before. Lots of scholarships, lots of avenues, you know, whether it's club, beach, volleyball. I mean, there's just so many more ways to compete, get to college, playing sports. I really feel like I was kind of, I mean, not one of the pioneers. I mean, be just, but there were people before me that really paved the way. So I would have the opportunity to play a sport that I love. 
I grew up on the beach. I would play for free. I would go every summer while I was in college. I'd be there at 9 a.m. and I'd leave by 8 p.m. I played all day long. So it was a sport that I loved. So the fact that it became a professional opportunity was amazing. I didn't think that was going to be my job. I really didn't. I started playing, you know, I was finishing school at UCLA, I started playing. And then all of a sudden, it was seven months out of the year. So, and I was making a good living. But I mean, what do you do in the other, you know, few months? You can't do much for five months. So I kept thinking, oh, you know, I'll do this while I can. And then head into the workforce, but it lasted 20 years. And so it's been fun kind of trying to find out what I wanted to do after. And that's been broadcasting. And it was, it's been a lot of hard work, but I'm glad I got that opportunity. Yeah, both of you were pioneers in your industry. I mean, you've been playing professional sports. The Olympics, the first one you were in was 96. in 1996. Yeah. yeah so 23 yeah. years ago yeah. was the yeah. first one. Yeah. And you pioneered something that hadn't been there before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty cool I because so now. so much credit for that. Mm-hmm. The sport, oh, I just felt like it was a great opportunity. So I took advantage of the opportunity. I tried to be the best ambassador for the sport, give back, show the young kids that it is an opportunity and it's a great way to spend your day. You're outside, you're exercising. There's no better place to spend your day. So going back to the money. So you're allowed to be a professional athlete when you become an Olympic, but you don't get paid to be in the Olympics, right? You do not. You do not. If you medal, you get a bonus, you know, gold, I don't know, mm-hmm. 25000 15, and 10000 depending on what medal you bring home. But that so was that it. That period of training and whatnot, you sort of put a pin in your paying career. No, it's become- just the Olympics. That's the only tournament that you don't get paid for. All the other tournaments that you're qualifying for, you get paid for. According to how you finish. Right. So you're competing in all the events, one, to qualify for the yeah. Olympics, and right. you're getting paid for all of those. All the yeah. way up to you So get it's literally just the that team. one Correct. tournament uh-huh. that you could come home with. That nothing. you come yeah. and you represent your country yeah. as the athlete yeah. from yeah. that country. And it, right. Yeah. And that's how I first met Holly. Yeah, I was when just you were asking ask. about that, was doing a feature on her for the 96 mm-hmm. Olympic Games. I My specialty when I was at ESPN quickly became... The Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Barcelona in 92 and Lillehammer in 94. And then for 96, um, by that point, I was already living in Manhattan Beach and did a feature on Holly and her partner for the Olympics. And then again for 2000 and then was headed to Greece for 2004 and got waylaid by a pregnancy. Uh, so <laughs> no offense, Luke. Um, and that's where Holly got a bronze medal. That's the way our partnership kind of we weren't even thinking along those lines there, but I was just covering Holly and then we got paired together. In I think our first year was 2007. That's about right. Yeah, yeah, the intimacy yeah. that you two share with each other is fantastic. It's great. We're good friends. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you have a lovely like, aura about the two of you. Okay, let's let's bring us to today. So you have a a uh, school down in Manhattan Beach. Yeah. So I kind of my year is divided kind of into three different I don't know seasons, which is kind of fun. Basically, end of August through December, I'm a broadcaster for indoor volleyball on TV. Uh, Anne-Marie and I do that a lot together. And my club volleyball is November through March. So I own a beach volleyball club, elite beach volleyball club out of Manhattan Beach. We have 80 kids. I co-own it with two other Olympians, Eric Fonoimoana and Barbara Fontana. I really have enjoyed that, obviously giving back, coaching, um, but getting kids into school. Even if they don't get a scholarship, to have that on your resume really helps. And we've placed over, helped place over 60 kids in college to play beach volleyball. So that's been really rewarding. 
And then so when then spring comes along, basically March, April, May is beach volleyball on TV. Again, Anne-Marie and I work together on that. And then my summer months are beach volleyball on the beach. And I have a court in front of my house and I train aspiring Olympians, aspiring collegiate players, current collegiate players. Um, and that's how I spend my days on the summer and then my afternoons on the beach with my son. So what brought you together for your podcast? Tell us a little bit about that, the impetus of... Well, we spent an extraordinary amount of time together. I mean, it's it's no joke. We're very, very close friends. And um, and we do spend part... I, I broadcast all year around a bunch of different sports. So Holly's my partner for volleyball and I have different partners for basketball. I do. I'm leaving for Vegas in a few hours for professional basketball. And so we're together a lot through that. And we always have something to say. And I I think that when we talk about how the podcast started a few years ago, we started kind of answering, we got so many questions from fans about volleyball that we started doing Facebook lives. Mm. And they ignited in a way we could have never imagined. We would get, you know, 100,000 views at one point, we reached a million people for volleyball. And had 600 questions on one of ours. Wow. So yeah. just us, it basically in my living room, I, we had the beach in the background. It was a nice setting. But I mean, just talking about volleyball and taking the, live questions. The interest, yeah. yeah. Live questions. So, I mean, there was a need for it. All these volleyball fans. I actually just had one of those Facebook flashbacks of one of our shows and yeah. all the questions. People loved it. Yeah, they came so quickly. And so I, it was really Holly who was pushing for the podcast, kind of wanting to create more and you know, she's very convincing. So let's talk about your podcast. Let's talk about the name of your podcast, which has got an interesting word in it, boss, which I love that. Yep. So let's talk about that. How did you name it? And what's the sort of general mood of the podcast when you interview people? What do you, what's the uh, thesis? The thesis is using sports in all aspects of your life to take control. So for us as college athletes, how do we still use it? I, I, I have to compete at work every day for jobs every day. And I use that competitive fire that I had as an athlete. So that's kind of like a boss, handling your business like a boss. That's one aspect of it. It's also youth sports and how crazy it is as they want you to play in all these tournaments and this and that. You need to handle that and raise your children with the authority and the knowledge that you know what's best. So for us, that's also handling your life like a boss. No, he's not going to do this. Yes, he is going to do this. And then I think the third prong really is teaching your children to use those same aspects of sports when they grow up in every aspect of their lives. Yeah, I think uh, you know, the lessons, the experience that we had in sport, we faced a lot of adversity, a lot of challenges, but learning teamwork, learning how to work together. I mean, she's she's the pro on TV. She coaches me all the time. I'm like, okay. I can do that better. I, I mean, I'm open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm stubborn. I'm competitive. And, and maybe in some areas of my life, I wouldn't be as coachable. But I think the things that we learned in sports have really helped us succeed. And we deal every day, different competitive situation. And also, I mean, I have my phone blows up parents calling me for advice. So I'm trying to share my experience uh, because they feel like they have to get on this treadmill and compete. And the other moms are saying this. And the, I mean, it's an, it's amazing what goes on with the parents and they're all competitive and she's saying this and she's saying that. So I have to kind of like talk them off the ledge and say, okay, here's what's important. Your daughter cannot play seven days a week. She will be overtrained and her results will go down the tubes. She cannot do that. She does not have to win the U-12 World Championships. That's not that important. And they don't get that because they're just so caught up in it. So I think the lessons that we learned 
from our lives and what we've been able to do after sports, during our sports, uh, we're trying to share them. And a lot of our guests have been professional athletes. They've had different experiences, different challenges. It's been really fun learning what other people experienced as they kind of emerged through the ranks. And, and part of it too, sorry, I was just going to say like when Robin Roberts came on, she was a collegiate basketball player, Robin Roberts of Good Morning America. Mm-hmm. We talked with her about those applications. When the prompter went down at the final four and all of a sudden everything that she had prepared was gone. How did she flash back? She told us to standing at the free throw line and knowing she's got to make the shot to win. She was flawless. I was working with her at that final four and, and I remember it specifically, but how her background of working under stress mm-hmm. and pressure helped her there. We also talk with authors, how to raise an adult is the name of one of the books of the authors that we're talking with about doing too much for your kids. So we try to talk to the athletes. We talk to broadcasters about it. We talk to uh, successful people in business, men and women, uh, sports psychologists. We want to kind of come at it from all angles. And we want to teach, uh, I mean, the thing I say to my daughter all the time is, how do you handle your business? Are you going to lay there and hope for somebody to rescue you and take care of it? And she's seven and she'll say, no, I handle my business like a boss. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. I just had the opportunity to um, uh, interview Chris Klein, who's the president of... um, the LA Galaxy. And they have such an interesting model with their sports academies, which are really big in Europe, but over here, they, the Galaxy were the first ones. And so they take these young kids that are going to go into soccer and they teach them life skills and how to handle the pressure and to get education. So they go to, you know, they're learning, you know, they're going through school with them and they're also learning to be great soccer players, but how to handle pressure and how to be a good representative of the team and teamwork and all of those things, which I think is amazing. The um, consciousness of teaching all of those skills. So I yeah. love what you're it's sharing. It's more of a holistic yes. approach. I, I like it a lot. As Anne-Marie mentioned an author that we had on our show. And one of the things I like about doing the podcast, I learned something every day Oh yeah, in the research and talking to somebody. But the author that we had was the dean of um, students at Stanford. And I feel like we just learned so much from that podcast. I've already put some new kind of actions into what I do every day because I have parents texting me, setting up lessons for their child. And I said, you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. I want your daughter to text me directly, call me, set it up, be responsible for herself. I want them paying me. I don't want the parent to be involved because that way they're in, they're involved. I mean, one of the things that I noticed a couple different girls, I mean, I train hundreds of girls, a couple of the kids actually cash into my hand. You know, the Venmo is like, it's kind of unseen, but when they're giving cash, they're realizing that there's a physicality to it. And they're in, my parents are investing I have to be all in. So I'm just asking the kids that I coach to be more responsible for themselves, be on time, be in, you know, be respectful, all all these things. Mm -hmm. And you would be surprised how many parents are like, whoa, uh, okay, uh, uh, I can I have them do that? I'm like, yes. You know, they're between 12 and 18 years old. They can figure that out. I couldn't agree with you more. I see these kids come into my office. My favorite thing is when you shake my hand and you shake my hand like shit. I'm mm-hmm. going to teach you how to shake mm-hmm. my hand. Mm-hmm. It starts right from the very first second that you meet them. This little wussy handshake like yeah. this night. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I've also dealt with in my life so many overachieving parents mm-hmm. on behalf of their children. Absolutely. Like my kid this mm-hmm. and my kid that. Here's an idea. This is a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old. They can speak. I know you've taught them how to speak, right? They know how to speak. Yeah. So here's an idea. Let them speak and let them tell me that this is what they want. In my universe, which is not sports, but in money, 
everybody wants their kid to come spend time in my office. I yeah. bet. Can my kid come and spend the summer in your office? Can your my kid come? I want to come spend the summer too. in my office. <laughs> I want to be, out, I be outside of the pool. <laughs> you guys, I hire you both. I do. Yes. My pay is yes. huge, okay. zero. Uh, but, you know, they come in and they spend – I have had more than one kid fail out of being an intern in my office. Oh, yeah. And I tell them, I give them one warning. If I see that again, you're not coming back to my office. I had this one kid of a, a very, very well-known guy that you both know. His kid fell asleep in my office. I'm like, what are you doing? You can't be in my office and fall asleep. Yeah. Now, our workday, we're in at 5, but we let the interns come in. We think we're nice. We let the interns come in at 6.30, and if they're late more than once, they're not invited back. I tell them the first time, you yeah. can't be late. But we're very strict. I've had a few parents call me on the phone and say, well, you're being so strict. I said, well, let's just be clear here. You asked me to teach your child about money and to understand their relationship to money and to learn about money. So you asked me to bring your kid in and I told you what the hours were and you said, oh, that'll be fine. And now you're asking me to relax my standards for your kid. Well, what message is that giving your kid? I mean, this is, I, I have these conversations, mm-hmm. not bet. quite as harshly as I sound right now, but the message is the same. And uh, they come in and now, you know, we have lots of repeats. You know, they want to come back the next summer, the next summer, the next summer. And we put eight and maybe 10 kids through an internship in the summer. And their relationship to money improves enormously because they learn about it. We give them projects to do and homework to do and they come back in because everybody wants to know, how. Do, what do you do with money? I have money now. What am I supposed to do with that? For sure. So it's not sports, but it's, an, it's a fiercely competitive thing. And you have to have a basic understanding. So how do you teach your children? You both have kids. How? What is their relationship to money? How are they going to learn about money? Yeah, I love your situation because you, you're actually empowering those kids. They've survived right. an internship with you. I mean, it's, no, but being in a tough situation, once you've survived that, you can survive anything, yeah. right? So I feel like you're empowering them. Not only are they That's learning about money. They're being empowered to survive any situation and figure out, okay, these are the rules. They're not going to be slippery. This is it. And you got to survive. My dad was a Marine and I don't know if that's where I get my discipline, but I get rules. I like rules. I like being Mm -hmm. in that structure because you know what to expect at UCLA. If you were one minute late, you were running sprints. You could not be a minute late. No, everybody has classes. Everybody has life going on. You could not be late for anything. And that was clear. And all of us know and all of us can figure that out that that helps us for the rest of our lives. On a totally other end of the scale, I do some volunteer coaching at a low income, mostly Latino girls school that brings athletics and this sort of heart centered soft skills into the program. And it's amazing. And that middle school, they don't know how to shake your hand. They can't look you in your eyes. That's eye. not specific to that age, to, to yep. your situation. Most parents don't teach their kids how to shake hands properly. Being in a situation where you can bring that to them early, you just realize if they're not learning it at home, Absolutely. they've got to learn those things. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I mean, my kids can shake a damn hand, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. is the one thing even my seven-year-old will shake a hand. But to your question about money, I need to talk to you about what you think it should look like, 14, 11, and 7, because we don't hand money to our kids by any means. They need to earn it. You already heard about the mm-hmm. phone. But I can do more, but I don't know what more to do. I'm happy to teach this to you. I've done this, I don't know, 500 times. And uh, there's a lot of things about this. Some of the things that I really have um, had the greatest responses from is matching money. Yes. You know, and I think that it's a real, you know, if you want this, 
this is how you're going to achieve this, and we'll give you a matching money opportunity to get that. And here is the way you can get that matching money opportunity. And you have to be strict about it. This is no – I mean we're all – we were all of means. Mm-hmm. It was my favorite way of deciding of, – of calling it money. Right? Mm-hmm. We are all of means. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you teach your children? But the matching money grants have been the most effective. I'm in. Mm-hmm. I just talked to Lucas about this yesterday at 14 because he's now getting to that age where he wants money. And I said, I've considered matching money, but you need to – Earn money. Yeah. So that goes back to what I said before about the chore sheets. Yeah. You know, here's a chore sheet. And I'm assuming you have a housekeeper because you travel a lot. And I'm assuming you have a housekeeper. If you don't, you know, even if you have it in my in my universe, because I started my day so early, I had a housekeeper. Right. But my housekeeper didn't make their beds. No. My housekeeper didn't set and clean up the table. My housekeeper didn't set and clean up the things that when I was cooking and I was messing, making giant messes around the kitchen, they all had had assignments. And those assignments all had money attached to them. If you set up the table, you're going to get a dollar. If you clean the table, you're going to get a dollar. If you take out the garbage, you get 50 cents and so forth. And so when they achieved a certain amount of money, they got a matching grant. But they they had to earn that $10 before they got $10. My favorite solution in my family, I don't know if you have this, I don't know how old your kids are, but shotgun was the single biggest fight that went on in my house. Who's going to ride shotgun? Who's going to ride shotgun? I'm telling you right now, this went on every <laughs> single day. Yeah. And I have boys, four boys, and right. they would squeeze Physical. out the door, pushing each other like Physical, this. Yeah. I said, okay, this isn't working for me. So I'm the great negotiator. We know each other better. I negotiate everything. So I said, this isn't working for me. So here's what's going to happen from now on. We solve the chore problem and the matching money problem. How do you solve that problem? Well, who sets the table gets two school shotgun. And who cleans up the table gets home shotgun, and we're going to rotate that every week. Mm-hmm. Since I had four, even number of kids, I was able to do two and two, solve that problem. So I was the queen of trying to figure out how not to have fights in the house. Love it. But the making money thing, now as they got a little bit older, we started to learn about investing money. Right. And that's a whole other conversation, which I'm happy to share with you. But investing money, you know, and then I gave them the basics on investing money. Now, today, they're all in their – my youngest son just turned 30, and they all know about money and their accounts and how to invest it, and they make phone calls, and what do you think about this? And they read research reports, and I'll share that with you and and show you how to teach kids how to invest money. I would love that. I have a question, though, about within the house. So our kids do. They they sweep the floor. We have a dog. They sweep the floor. They make their beds. They do all that. But I've never paid them for that because my theory has always been to them, well, you live here. So you do that because you live here. So I, I don't want to lose that, but I need a different way for them to earn We'll money. have different chores. I need to find something else. You have to have different chores. Cleaning I mean, the if bathrooms. You already I don't have them. them clean the bathrooms. Right. You can have them clean the bathrooms. You can have them organize the cabinets. You can have them sweep the driveway. You can have them. My favorite, my sons used to, you know what high dusting is? Yes. So my, I was obsessed <laughs> over cobwebs. And so I would have them high dust, you know, so yeah. we bought the extending poles and they high dusted and I gave them windows. I mean, we had all sorts of things around um, the basic stuff. Like I wanted I like them that. to do the things that I wanted them to do just because. Right. Because but then I wanted yeah. them to learn how to make money. So we created opportunities for them to do that. And it worked great. How yeah. early were they? Did you set Young, up accounts for them? Yeah. No, but how, when you set up accounts for them and started teaching them? Oh. Uh, about, young, eight, seven, eight, nine years mm. old. So they've had all of them have. And having relationships to money mm-hmm. is also important. You know, they're um, one of the most ineffective things I've ever seen is trying to control your children through money. 
You know, how many people do you see do that? I'm sure you see that all the time in your business. Yeah. You know, trying to control your kids through money is a zero sum game. I'm not going to let you have that unless you do this, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. and, um, you know, yes, I'm rich, but you're not. And, you know, yeah. you can't have that, you know, trying to control them. I'm not going to let you have this unless right. you do this for me. Right. Well, that's controlling them. Yeah. So that might have happened to me. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, that's why I wanted yeah. to be out on my own, yeah. making my mm. own money, answering to myself because. You know, money was kind of held over my head. You have to do this to, you know. But you didn't like it. You didn't like it. I couldn't stand it. Yeah. And it's, it it. it doesn't teach them. Yeah. You know, so all of you, both of you, everything that you've said in this time that we've been together is that teaching. You're all interested in that. Mm -hmm. You're teaching your children, preparing them to leave us, preparing them to leave. We want them to leave. Absolutely. I I You know, I say that to my 14 year old all the time, like, dude, you got four years. And, you know, we got some more work to do. So right. everything I say, if you have a question about a rule, I want to hear it, but I'm going to throw science and stats and charts at you right. back. It's never going to be because I said so. It's going to be, here's why, because you got to get out on your own and I want you to fly when you go. Right. Exactly. Any well, difference between um, daughters and sons? My daughter's so young, it's hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's fun, you know, but right. she's also first grade. It's funny because Facebook just recently put out this article and I can't remember what school it was, but they they actually have a class at a college where they're teaching the students how to do laundry because oh, they don't God. know how to do it. And my seven-year-old like, wow, does do you? Yeah, I, I started when I was probably yeah. seven or eight years yeah, old. My parents split. Laundry. I was doing my own laundry and I made a lot of errors. I had a beautiful wool sweater that turned oh. into about a doll. <laughs> doll. Yeah. All that. I had spent all my hard-earned money. I yeah. cried for a week. But, yeah. but these are all the things that we have. That we're responsible to teach our children. Absolutely. Well. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. I tell this, my, that's my favorite line. You know, remember the song, teach your children yeah. well? Mm-hmm. This is what we're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And so all of these things that we're talking about, I don't envy you having a seven-year-old. You know, what's going on today? I didn't have to deal with this. You know, my kids are just one generation up from that. Yeah. This is tricky. It's going to be interesting. It's really mm-hmm. tricky. And, the, you know, this constant beating and battering over the Internet and the mean things that people say. Yeah. You know, and boys are so so much easier than girls. Girls are terrible. I know. I'm afraid because I've I've got my boys, but this is my only girl, and I don't know. I don't know what I don't know yet, right? Because right. she's still in the sweetness, you know. And and the phrase that always comes in my head is that you're supposed to give your kids wings and roots. That those are the right. two things that we need to give our right. children. And so I'm trying to find that balance. But yeah, the boys. I mean, if they're grumpy, feed them. They're good. Yeah. That's all it really yeah. is. And when they too. close their door and the shower's running, don't bother oh, them. Oh, good God. <laughs> don't. And our peer pressure, and the peer pressure was in our neighborhoods and who our yeah. friends were and yeah. who are, was at our school. Yeah. Now you have global pressure yeah. through Instagram and you're taking a hundred pictures before you get that one where you look beautiful that you can show the world so what you, you look post. like. I mean, it's tremendous. Well, in, in the lack pressure. of social interaction, yes. I mean, the text and the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm People so, aren't having conversations. I'm mm-hmm. so grateful my television career did not start with social media because my right. worth was never about how I looked, ever. It was always about the job I did. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was I was at ESPN 10 years before I made the move to go on air. I was a producer and that my gig was all about my brain. You know, six Olympics and Super Bowls and heavyweight title fights and all of that stuff before I ever went on air. But even with the social media, we have to do it now for work. And yeah, we take 100,000 pictures to make sure we have the one we're putting out there. Don't kid yourself. Lighting's everything. But 
we, I guarantee that neither of us care at all how many likes there are. And I'm thinking if I was 25 and it mattered somehow, either to me or to my employers, I mean, if I had an employer at this point say, you know, well, I need you to have a bigger social media following. I go home to take a long walk off a short pier, take my experience or walk out the door. Look at the two of you so successful in your careers as women pioneering. I mean, what Mm -hmm. you've done. I mean, you were a woman in the sports industry years yeah, ago. It's a broadcaster. I mean, it's a competitive, big, yeah. big, big yeah. deal. And look at you. I mean, being a professional, successful volleyball player is – honestly, I'm, I'm in awe of the both of you. It's fantastic what you've accomplished. Thank you. It really we're is. We're so hungry still. I know, yeah, right? Me you. too. Yeah, we are Man. in all our conversations. We were saying with the podcast, I had an agent tell me, oh, you know, these things never succeed. But Thank you. Yeah. Called, hung up, called yeah. Holly. I said, guess what this person just said? And Holly said, game on. Yeah. I'm like, I, it just, it, I, I don't know what we would do. We love, together as a team, we love the competition. We have things in our calendars, physically in our calendars, events that we're going to do together that we have not yet been hired for. You know, Emory, I love, I'm so competitive. I don't, I often wonder when is it going to stop? Like, when is that going to just, do, I don't think, I don't think it, it does. does. Right. I think that's, that's the essence of who you. you are and the beauty yeah. of it is you're going to be 90. Like, yeah. think about yeah. the women that will be at 90 with this kind of yeah. Yeah. heart centered, but competitiveness. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be amazing. I'm going on till the last breath is that, you know, and, and, but, but it's also, we're all women, you know, we're all moms. Kim doesn't have any kids, but she has millions of friends that have kids. I mean, I'm an Uber moms, aunt. I mean, I would, I would do That's anything for my children. Right. But I've raised my children now, right? You guys are raising. Yeah. I did a great job. Good. I'm telling you right I now. I love that you say that. I did she, a great job. Her sons are My sons beautiful. are fantastic. My husband I and I that. crushed it. Awesome. Every yeah. single one of them. Like They're a boss. Like, like a boss. Like love a boss. Yeah. But owning it is a oh, big yeah. part of being like totally. a boss. Mm-hmm. They're not tattooed. They don't smoke. They're respectful. My family all live in a no phone zone. I don't know if you've ever used this expression, but when you're with me, oh, yeah. I'm not interested in you being on your phone. Yeah. And mm. when I'm with you, I'm not going to be on my phone. There you go. We live in a no phone zone. We sit and have dinner. We have dinner as a family and they don't live with me anymore. Oh my God, I played landslide. A thousand times when <laughs> my youngest son left the house. Oh my god! Uh, but we live in a no phone zone. We have meals together all the time. They're with each other all the time. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Crushed it. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, the love you have for your children is you can't even explain it to anybody. But it was, it's great. These- and amazing role models for your children and for women and for people in general. Standing up, being who you are, you doing what you love. On top of it being I love you know, a competitive athlete, I love it. you are really in your zone when they talk about zone of genius, right? Yeah. Being exactly who you are, what you love, and just crushing it like you are. That's what you want to teach your kids. And I, I, leading I've never as a had mom, a day I don't want to go showing to ever. Ever. Potential ever, in women. Yeah, well, the market was shitty in 08 and 09. I didn't really want to go to yeah, the market. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I wasn't you know, having very much fun. Yeah, yeah. I but otherwise it was fine. I just, yeah, I just, I I love uh, going great. to work. And sometimes I come, I never hide it from my kids. I come back and they're like, hey, how'd it go? And I was like, I was not very good today. Wasn't very smooth in my transitions. Got these numbers wrong. Other days they come back. How was it? I think I crushed it. I crushed it today. Loved it. I want them to, to hear it. But the peer pressure in parenting, which I could give to about, you know, the blinders, because the iPads and everything else, we don't have any of that in our house. We don't have any 
iPads that we give our kids and I'm driving carpool and I hear the kids, my son's friends say, well, what do you do after school? And he says, I play basketball outside. Right. And they said, well, what do you do after you play basketball outside? And he says, I play basketball inside. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what I, they can't understand, but I, I'm I was not the going same. to do it. I yeah. was the same. And we I did, don't there wasn't, care. You know, they didn't even watch TV. Until no. long after dinner was over, you know, nobody had any of those things. But it's hard. I, I don't I don't envy people who are raising little ones today. I mean, this is a much trickier thing than I had to deal with. We're competitive anyway. I'll be competitive in that. Yeah. 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 And, and not in competitive in my kid versus your kid, but in competitive in I don't care what you're doing. I'm lucky that my husband also grew up with, you know, kind of a tough upbringing, truthfully, but didn't have any money. He didn't have heat for part of the time that he was growing up. So... A lot of that pressure falls on deaf ears to us. You know, every like, yeah, we live in a nice house that we earned every dime for post-marriage together. Right. And so we're still driving. One of our cars is the car that we bought when our oldest was born. And we love driving that jalopy around. It's like driving a tractor. Mm -hmm. And our kids, our middle kid, who's very money focused, is like, when are we going to get a Tesla? And we said, when you leave, (laughs) when you leave, we're going to get a Tesla. But do you want to know what our Tesla is? It's our house in New York. And they're like, we didn't know we had a house in New York. Oh, yeah, we own a house in New York that that people are renting from us. What? Why can't we ever go there? Because that's our Tesla. That's our investment coming in. We have money that you guys don't know about because this is the way you earn. I had a conversation with my youngest son, uh, sort of like what you're just saying when he he would say something to me. He says, well, mom, we have money. Why can't I have this? And I said, well, you're partially right. I have money. Right. (laughs) You got nothing. (laughs) You need a job. (laughs) You got nothing. (laughs) You know, they were so funny. Anyway, I I just loved you. Could you guys please say your podcast name again and tell all of our fantastic listeners where to find you? Sports Like a Boss. Yeah, Sports Like a Boss. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One. We talk to professional athletes. We talk to authors. We talk to uh, professionals in business and broadcasting, sports psychologists. We want to talk about how sports can help you, how to avoid the pitfalls with sports for your children. And uh, it's just a nice conversation. So Sports Like a Boss. I'm totally totally turning it on today thank and you. i can't wait to hear some of your episodes i love meeting you. i feel like i could sit here for the rest of the day yeah and talk you to are we could have a lot of fun too. together what an honor yeah. meeting you guys really i've had such a fun time talking to you guys thanks for listening to say it forward help us grow by subscribing to our podcast please subscribe on itunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.